0: Welcome to the just thinking podcast with hosts Dara Harrison and Virgil Walker bringing you cultural apologetics as well as social issues from a biblical worldview this is the just thinking podcast let's think. It's another edition of the Just Thinking Podcast. I am Virgil Walker.
1: And I am Daryl Harrison. What you no good oh my... <laughs> easy. Oh, you oh, oh, You holding it out.
0: You holding bro. it
1: out. <laughs> man, I, I couldn't let my man Cooper from Skillet outdo me, bro. <laughs> Shout,
0: like, <laughs> shout, out, shout, out, shout out to our brother, man, John L. Cooper from Skillet, man. That jury, shout out man, to he is He's amazing, man. I, I, I saw the, the deal that he did, man. He shout, shouted us out again. I think we sent him a, a mug or maybe Dwayne did or something, and uh, he shouted us out. I mean, what do you think about that, man, getting shouted out by that guy?
1: Man, I love that guy, man. I, I love that guy. Yeah. I, I love how he reps, man. I, I, I love his passion for the truth, number one. So yes, it's, it's, less about, it's, it's less about him shouting out Just Thinking, which, I'm, man, I'm, I'm always happy to see that. But for that brother to take time out of his day like that, man, to give us a shout-out for the mug. And then, uh, you know, for him to do that, uh, to, 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 to sort of do your name like I would do it in the intro, man. Like nobody else does it, right. man. He killed it. He, he nailed it. So, so shout-out no, to John. Shout-out to Skillet, man. Thanks for repping the Just Thinking podcast, bro. We appreciate you, man.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, man, I'm, I'm excited to be behind the microphone. Every time we sit down to do this, there's so many things that have happened in our world, whether it's it's stuff with you at Grace Community Church through the ministry of, of John MacArthur and GTY, uh, all the stuff that you've got going on, uh, opportunities that... that this platform, the Just Thinking Podcast platform, has afforded us both, and in particular, uh, my, a recent trip that I took to the Falkirk uh, Center there at Liberty University in Lynchburg, Virginia, mm-hmm. uh, having a chance to go there, connect with Ryan, and talk about. They had the Faith Summit uh, where they yep. talked about issues of culture and 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 you know and and the like through the lens of a biblical worldview and faith. It's just been amazing. We you know we 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 take a few just a few weeks, two or three weeks, and then we're back we're behind the microphone and uh it feels like we've been everywhere you know all at once and i know for you not only with what you've got going on at, at at grace to you and 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 again at grace community church but all the all the outreach people who are connecting with you and talking with you and uh needing mm-hmm. your time and energy man it feels like a a, a whirlwind has happened uh, between the times when we get back on these microphones even though it hadn't been long any any thoughts around that for you
1: Yeah, we really hadn't planned to be back behind the microphone this soon. I don't think, you know, we released uh, the episode about three and a half weeks ago that we titled Black Lives Matter with a question mark. Mm -hmm. Right. So here we are again. It's not necessarily so much a follow up to that episode that we're doing today. We're calling this on a freestyle episode. And for our new listeners, when we refer to an episode as freestyle, what we mean by that is that, you know, it's not an episode that was necessarily on the calendar for us and maybe not even dealing with a topic uh, that was uh, at top of mind. But in this case, it's a little bit different because uh, things continue to be fluid, dynamic around Black Lives Matter, the organization, a lot of the activities that are happening in the country and around the world under the Black Lives Matters banner. Uh, so and I know, Verge, you're going to touch on this here in just a second. I know this was definitely a burden on your heart to address some additional aspects Of that organization, their worldview, their agenda that we didn't get to touch on in the previous episode that we did. So, yeah, with everything that's going on around us uh, in our personal lives and our professional lives, the opportunities that uh, have been coming uh, through the podcast to both you, me, uh, to maybe uh, expand and extend our voices either individually or together, Mm -hmm. um, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, Praise be to God that he's given us the grace and the opportunity to uh, be back behind the microphone today uh, to address some additional concerns, issues that we think the church, Christians, uh, truly uh, regenerate believers uh, should be concerned about as it relates to this organization, Black Lives Matter. So like you, brother, I'm glad to be back behind the mic with you today as we record this episode it is Sunday, September 13th, 2020. Uh, Lord willing, we're gonna drop this episode to our listeners on Wednesday, September sixteenth. So glad to be back behind the mic with you, man.
0: I'm I'm glad to be behind the mic with you. One of the things, as as I kind of began to frame this up, um, I remembered you hit me up, kind of texting me and saying, "Hey, what do you, what do you got? What do you have? What are your thoughts? You got any topics?" And uh, and truth be told, man, the, the you know. Uh, the issue of, of black lives matter has just seemed to to, to be on, on steroids. the issue around critical race theory and its importance and prominence is, has, has even started trending on on Twitter um, there was so, there was so much that we unpacked in the previous um, uh, episode um, and and I really wanted to just lay out what I had been seeing across the culture in in, in, in a number of different areas. Um, and so, as as you as as I called you and said, "Hey, man, here's kind of what I want to do," you kind of said, "Hey, well, let's let's let you lead it. Let's let you kind of take charge of it and and kind of run run the run the opening monologue and kind of get us get us kicked off." And so, I, I'm going to do that. But my whole goal in doing this is just ca- to kind of set up the framework that that was going on in my head. Uh, as I'm as I'm viewing culture, uh, as as I'm I'm you know looking at what's happening in the world around us, and so I, w- I want to lay it out by saying it was on March 11th that the NBA had decided to postpone its season, and this was due uh, in no small part to the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, and at the time, mm-hmm. no one really knew what would happen uh, with regard to the virus. Um, n- no, one, no one knew its impact on players or fans. Few knew when the season would actually return. Uh, but after a 15-week hiatus uh, in the NBA's Board of Governors, they would come together and announce a return to the 2019-2020 season with 22 teams returning uh, to play uh, as of July the 30th. Now rather than a celebration of humanity given the fact that we were in a global pandemic uh, rather than a celebration of humanity uh, who up to this point had had overcome massive death uh, massive death toll especially when you consider in light of the numbers I, re- I remember them them you know quoting numbers like two million people uh, would potentially mm-hmm. die from this virus at the outset I think you, you remember that as well. But, but the, the approach that was taken by the NBA was not to celebrate the fact that we had overcome mass, a massive death toll, not to, not to celebrate the humanity of, of, of life or, or the fragility of life, right, how fragile human life is. The approach taken by the NBA was that they wanted to be informed by a particular worldview. Now, informed by a video of the tragic death of George Floyd, a 46-year-old man killed on May 25, 2020, during an arrest— uh, for allegedly using a counterfeit bill, the NBA decided it would be bowing and taking a knee, not for all of humanity, but for the untimely death of the life of a black man. And Now, at no other time is is race elevated above death. But in this instance, all lives lost due to the global, global pandemic, they were, they were not remembered. I mean, we, we we didn't even think about that. However, the tragic life of one George Floyd would be the only life that mattered as the NBA would post Black Lives Matter on basketball courts as players took a knee in remembrance of this injustice. Mm-hmm. Now, the global pandemic would also have its impact on the National Football League, who determined they would not engage in, a, in preseason football games. They would diminish the number of fans in the stands and put protocols into place for players in an effort to try to combat the spread of the virus. However, on July 1st, Following the stand taken by the NBA, Roger Goodell, commissioner of the National Football League, made clear in a statement that the pressing issue was not the 182,000 lives lost due to COVID or COVID-related death, nor the people impacted by families, friends, neighbors, and loved ones that, that were left behind. Instead, the statement by Roger Goodell was that the real issue facing our country was systemic racism, and, and police mm-hmm. brutality. Mm-hmm. Goodell would go on to announce that the league's commitment to fight, he would go on to announce the league's commitment to fighting, not, not the global pandemic. They weren't interested in fighting the global pandemic. They were interested in fighting social justice as he announced a $250 million effort over 10 years to support programs addressing criminal justice reform, police reforms, economic and educational advancement. Furthermore, Lift Every Voice and Sing, known as the Black National Anthem, would be played at the opening week of football's return. Now, in the area of education, school systems around the country are racing to beef up their curriculum to reflect the importance of the Black Lives Matter agenda. Uh, in, In a June survey published in Education Week Research Center, the survey found this. It found that U.S. schools are altering their curricula to include more focus on black history in direct response to the Black Lives Matter protest this summer. Now, now, on its face, thinking about, about an examination of black history wouldn't be problematic, except for the fact that all history will be viewed through the lens of the Black Lives Matter protesters. Uh, the survey also found that there were increased demands for teaching material and practices that help black students better understand their place in the country. I mean, that statement alone is racist on its face, but I, I, won't, I won't pause there. Right. I'll continue yeah. walk, walking through what, what, what I want to share. Finally, and probably most dramatic, the survey found that 81% of U.S. teachers actually support Black Lives Matter. Now, on college campuses, students, student activists are joining forces to organize Black Lives Matter protests. At times, these protests include marches on downtown streets in search of innocent patrons of open-air eateries. Now, if, if they just so happen to be committing the, the, the crime of being white, they're often accosted by mobs. Mm-hmm. Now, think think things like these are, are 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 no are no exaggerations. This is absolutely what's happening in the culture. And this is this is a part of what caused me to to, to think. I, I thought I really want to I really want to talk to Daryl about these things. But let me let me give you two other areas, Daryl, in particular. One in the area of entertainment. Um, Mary Louise Kelly, she's the host of of National Public Radio NPR, an NPR show called All Things Considered. And in her mm-hmm. opening monologue, she she said the following quote. Log in log into your Netflix account and you will see a, a new category this week. She excitedly said this. You'll see a new category this week. The Black Lives Matter collection. Amazon Prime and HBO are also featuring black TV and filmmaking. At the same time, HBO Max has pulled from its library the classic film Gone with the Wind until it can give audiences context on the movie and how it romanticizes slavery in the south during the civil war now all of these entertainment companies and again i'm I'm still i'm still quoting from from mary louise kelly now all of these entertainment companies and plenty more have expressed solidarity with black lives matter and they're highlighting a lot of good shows and some not so good shows end quote now now finally in, in in the area of news media coverage i thought this was incredibly interesting it's important to note that news media coverage of, of, of any event, any event in culture has a tendency to shape how we view uh, the world around us and what is actually a priority. Uh, in a Washington Post article written on July 6th by Michael T. Haney, uh, the importance he said of news, the, the, the importance he, he wanted to express the fact that, that news, in, news coverage becomes very, very important. And how news is covered uh, becomes very apparent as well. He said this: Haney again. He's a res- he's a research professor uh, for the for the University of Michigan Institute of Research on women and gender. So I, I gave mm-hmm. his title on purpose because I wanted to I wanted to I wanted to emphasize the fact that this is hardly a right a far right wing thinker. He is the again the research professor at the University of Michigan Institute for Research, and the research that he focuses on is research on women and gender. Well, he stated the following, quote, the George Floyd death under the Minneapolis police officer's knee on May 25th outraged millions in the United States and around the world. People have responded in a variety of ways, with record-breaking, he says, peaceful protests violence and property damage however did occur artistic expression and online activism also also uh, was was reflected and I, again i'm continuing to quote from him he says how have news media how has the news media coverage covered these mass events compared to how they did so in the past to find out he said i looked carefully at the us news coverage of the protest over the past 20 years so what he's doing is he's looking at news coverage of protests mm-hmm. over the course of the last 20 years. And mm-hmm. he's examining them against the backdrop of how much more news coverage was on the event that took place uh, on May 25th regarding George Floyd. Mm-hmm. He said, I looked carefully at the U- at the U.S. news coverage of protests over the past 20 years and found that the media focused on the protests in June 2020 more than during any other month in two Decades, wow! So what he is what he is saying there is: if you take the past tw- past two decades, the past twenty years, that the George Floyd incident that took place in June was covered not only by more media outlets, but more often, it, it there was a sixty percent increase in news coverage about George Floyd than than when you combine all of the past protests over the last twenty years. Wow. He said, he said, not since Kent State killings in which the National Guard troops shot and killed four student protesters in May has there been so much media attention on one event as a protest, end quote. So he, the, the question that needs to be asked is, what is the definition that he's using of protest or peaceful mm-hmm. protester as compared mm-hmm. to violent protests or riots um, or, or looting and killing in the name of Black Lives Matter? I'll say this, and, and, and then, and then Daryl, I'll, I'll turn to you. It would be the Chicago Black Lives Matter organizer, Ariel Atkins. I know you remember seeing her on TV. Yep. She, she was talking about, about the mob. She was a Chicago, Chicago Black Lives Matter organizer. She, she, she would be talking about the vandalism and the looting of downtown businesses uh, there in Chicago, and she said, hey, they, they did nothing wrong. She called it, quote, reparations, end mm-hmm. quote. Mm-hmm. She, she, she said she would go on to tell the NBC news outlet in Chicago this. She said, "Quote, looting is reparations. Anything they want to take, they can take it because businesses have insurance." End quote. And, and media outlets seemed to agree with Ariel as they continue to advance the idea that the looting and rioting were simply the silent cry of those who can't be heard. Now, yeah. now, politics and re- politics and religion don't go unscathed either. And we're going to talk about that during the course of our time in this episode. But Daryl, this is this was the process, man. As I kind of began to catalog all of the different things, all of the different issues around Black Lives Matter, the Black Lives Matter movement, um, and 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 how this has moved from a a protest or 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 an issue with regard to George Floyd. To what is more representative of religion, I thought we 've got to talk about this mm-hmm. and, and, and and so the, the my thesis argument is that america 's new religion can be found in what i 'm calling the church of black lives matter and and yes. and I think it 's important for us to look at i couldn 't i couldn 't wait based upon all the things that i've been been looking at and examining and this is a this is a brief nutshell. I mean, we 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 could have spent two hours just talking about all the issues in the news. I mean, I, I know you've been watching it. I, I've been getting articles from you and different things. I've watched you tweet out and things I'm reading. I mean, we we could have done we could have done nothing more than for the next two hours walk through mm-hmm. all of the all of the different you know all of the different uh, articles and, and and news events that are out there. But but I, I wanted to tee this up and talk about it and talk about this religion. Uh, of Black Lives Matter, the Church of Black Lives Matter. So, as as I threw this to you, man, what what was what were some of the things that you thought about this as I as I kind of talked to you about it? What, what what was going through your mind?
1: Yeah, well, first of all, Omaha, man, thanks for laying that out the way you did there, bro. That was really really interesting, really solid. Uh, but you know, when you approached me about the idea of doing a freestyle episode of the Just Thinking podcast on the Church of Black Lives Matter. And I subsequently saw your outline of the direction that you want to go with this topic. You know, the first thing that came to my mind was a book by John MacArthur titled Fool's Gold, Fool's Gold, subtitled Discerning Truth in an Age of Error. Fool's Gold, Discerning Truth in an Age of Error. And what John MacArthur says at the very outset of that book in chapter one, okay, I think helps put into context what we're going to be discussing in this episode particularly as it relates to the, quote, church, unquote, of Black Lives Matter. So let me go ahead and share a passage from John MacArthur's book, Fools Gold, quote, Eureka. It is a simple Greek word, only six letters long. But for a generation of treasure seekers in the late 1840s, it became a life slogan, meaning, quote, I have found it, unquote, in English. The term purportedly comes from Archimedes, the Greek mathematician who cried out, Eureka, Eureka, when he determined how much gold was in King's hiero's crown. Yet for James Marshall, who discovered gold at Sutter's Mill in 1848 and many of his contemporaries, the term took on a new meaning. For them, Eureka meant instant riches, early retirement and a life of carefree ease. It's no wonder that California, the golden state, includes this term on its official seal, along with the picture of a zealous gold miner. News of Marshall's discovery spread quickly throughout the nation. By 1850, over 75,000 hopefuls had traveled to California by land and another 40,000 by sea, whether by wagon or by boat, The journey was an arduous one, as adventurers left friends and family behind in search of fortunes. Even when they finally arrived in San Francisco, the closest gold fields were still 150 miles away. Undaunted, nonetheless, many of the 49ers set up mining camps and started to dig. As they traveled out to their various destinations... Prospectors quickly learned that not everything that looked like gold actually was. Riverbeds and rock quarries could be full of golden specks and yet be entirely worthless. This, quote, fool's gold, unquote, was iron pyrite, and miners had to be able to distinguish it from the real thing. Their very livelihood depended on it. Experienced miners could usually distinguish pyrite from gold simply by looking at it. But in some cases, the distinction was not quite so clear. So they developed tests to discern what was genuine from what wasn't. One test involved biting the rock in question. Real gold is softer than the human tooth, while fool's gold is harder A broken tooth meant that a prospector needed to keep digging. A second test involved scraping the rock on a piece of white stone, such as ceramic. True gold leaves a yellow streak, while the residue left by fool's gold is greenish black. In either case, a miner relied on tests to authenticate his finds. Both his fortune and his future depended on the results. Doctrinally speaking, today's church is in a similar position to the California Gold Rushers of 1850. Spiritual riches are promised at every turn. New programs, new philosophies, new parachurch ministries, each glitters a little bit more than the last, promising better results and bigger returns. But as was true in the mid-1800s, just because it glitters doesn't mean it's good Christians need to be equally wary of fool's gold. We must not accept new trends or old traditions without first testing them to see if they meet with God's approval. If they fail the test, we should discard them and warn others also. But if they pass the test, in keeping with the truth of God's word, we can embrace and endorse them wholeheartedly. California gold miners would only cry, Eureka, when they found true gold. As Christians, we should be careful to do the same, unquote. That was from John MacArthur's book, Fool's Gold. Now, my point in reading that passage from John MacArthur's book is to convey to our listeners that Black Lives Matter is fool's gold. Black Lives Matter is fool's gold. It is a mirage. It is a phantasm, a delusion. Okay. Black Lives Matter is is a, quote, church, unquote, in the sense that it not only has followers and disciples, if you will, and a very specific set of doctrines and beliefs to which that organization rigidly and dogmatically subscribes. But perhaps even more importantly, Black Lives Matter is a church and that it proffers it a worldview that not unlike every other religion that has ever existed in human history is fundamentally eschatological in nature. OK, now I say that I say that Black Lives Matter is an eschatological uh, entity in nature on the basis of what is printed in the Black Lives Matter manifesto, which is titled, quote, a vision for black lives, policy demands for black power, freedom. And justice, unquote. This is the Black Lives Matter manifesto, a vision for black lives, policy demands for black power, freedom and justice. Now, as I read from the manifesto, I want our listeners to listen very closely to see if they can pick up some of the eschatological vernacular that is contained within that manifesto. All right. I'm quoting from the Black Lives Matter manifesto titled A Vision for Black Lives policy demands for black power, freedom, and justice. Quote, together, we demand an end to the wars against black people. We demand that the government repair the harms that have been done to black communities in the form of reparations and targeted long-term investments. We also demand a defunding of the systems and institutions that criminalize and cage us. This document, this document meaning the manifesto, this document articulates our vision of a fundamentally different world. However, we recognize the need to include policies that address the immediate suffering of black people. These policies, while less transformational, are necessary to address the current material conditions of our people and will better equip us to win the world we demand and deserve, unquote. That was a direct quote from the Black Lives Matter manifesto titled a vision for black lives, policy demands for black power, freedom and justice. Now that Black Lives Matter aspires to create quote, a fundamentally different world, unquote. And conversely to quote, when the world we demand and deserve unquote is intrinsically eschatological language in terms of the goals and objectives that organization desires to accomplish. But not only is Black Lives Matter a church, quote unquote, in the sense that its goals and objectives are formed within an eschatological framework and that it has followers and disciples who are zealously committed to bringing to fruition that eschatological vision. Black Lives Matter is also a church in the sense that its objectives are soteriological. Okay, and what I mean by that is that by achieving both a, quote, fundamentally different world and, quote, the world we demand and deserve, unquote, Black Lives Matter is proffering to the world at large a kind of societal salvation, which is to say a kind of self-deliverance from this current temporal world to a new yet equally temporal world, that will function operate in such a way as to bring about the consummation of the, quote, fundamentally different world, unquote, that Black Lives Matter and its supporters and adherents envision. OK, but the aforementioned statements that I read from the Black Lives Matter manifesto is precisely why, Omaha, you and I stressed so emphatically in the episode we did about three and a half weeks ago titled Black Lives Matter. That's why we stress so emphatically the fact that Black Lives Matter is an entire worldview. And it's not merely some harmless, innocuous hashtag that looks good on social media or on a T-shirt or a bumper sticker.
0: You got any thoughts on that, man? Man, I got, I got a lot of thoughts. I want to go back to what you, what you talked about with, the, with uh, the section that you read uh, about uh, Fool's Gold. Uh, discerning the Truth in an Age of Error. And again, on the Just Thinking podcast, you're going to hear us mention a lot of different books, a lot of different resources. Uh, we recommend those. Uh, those, are, those are things that either Daryl or I or both of us have have read, and, and there's a reason why we're pointing to them as a resource. And so I'm, I'm going to encourage you to go check that out. I, I love the setup uh, that you had when you talked about all that glitters is not good. Uh, and mm-hmm. that Christians need to be equally wary of, of fool's gold. I, 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 was, I had an opportunity to talk about, uh, about the fool's gold of pragmatism that has invaded our churches. Right. And uh, how what, what we've determined is that, hey, if it works, it must be right. Uh, yeah. rather than ex- examining whether it was right for us to do it to begin with on the basis of what Scripture declares to be right and true. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think we've got it. We, we definitely have to get back to that. And I think that's the the comment that that, that, uh, that you quoted from about fool's gold and, and, and testing to see if what we've determined uh, is something we're going to do actually meets God's standard is, is incredibly uh, important. The second thing that I loved about what you did was, was you established the, the the eschatological framework of Black Lives Matter, right? And then you established the soteriological framework of Black Lives Matter uh, in the quote based upon what they're saying. Not, not here's what right. I love about what we do. We don't we don't we don't make up this stuff. We don't come up with our own ideas about hey we think this is what they mean. We actually go to what they said. Right, and then we unpack it, and then we exegete it, so that you can you can understand with specificity. This is where they're coming from. Um, they, they're articulating this document articulates our vision of a fundamentally different world. That's eschatological. That that's yep. for for those who are trying to figure out what is what is eschatology? Eschatology is the study of end times. It's it's the idea of of the of the new heaven and the new earth and what, what Black Lives Matter is offering is a diff a fundamentally, by their own words, a quote, fundamentally different world end quote. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. That that is right. that is abso- that is absolutely eschatological. And 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 to add to it It's soteriological. What what is soteriology? It's the study the study of salvation. How how one is saved, right? If if you're saved and you are righteous and you are justified. Well, the just inherit eternal life. And in this instance, Black Lives Matter is offering the world that they demand and deserve, right? Mm-hmm, and again, mm-hmm. I, I'll go a step further with, with this in particular, uh, uh, Daryl, and say that what they're offering is, is an ethnic harmardiology, right? They're, they're offering an ethnic yep. harmardiology, exactly. right? What, what they're saying is that on the basis of my ethnicity, I am sinless, I am guiltless. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am mm-hmm. righteous. I am righteous. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I. There's an aspect of holiness that is attached to the level of melanin in my skin because of of a, of a historic past that I've endured here in America. Yeah. So again, I, I yep. totally, I totally agree with, with everything you stated. And, and again, for those who who may be new, we, we we definitely define our terminology here. The last thing you mentioned. Was that that there's a, a a whole worldview? These are not just three in, innocuous words. Black lives mm-hmm. matter. It's, it's not, right. and, and in in those three words, is a tremendous amount of a, a, a is a worldview. Uh, it, it's a it's a mm-hmm. worldview. It's a Trojan horse that 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 far too many um, pastors are 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 repeating not recognizing that what they're advocating is is, is fundamentally a worldview. And, and again, a worldview. Worldview, the dictionary defines it as a comprehensive uh, conception of the world in which we live from a specific standpoint. Worldview simply stated is how we view the world. Uh, and, and there there right. are numerous philosophical there are numerous philosophical approaches to worldview. I, I won't go through them all, but as a believer, as a believer, we're to hold to a biblical worldview. Uh, when, when you mm-hmm. think about religion and the practice of religion, it's informed on the basis it the the, the the manner in which we practice our religion is based in how we view the world. We we call it orthodoxy, right teaching. That that right teaching right. should inform your your orthopraxy, the manner in which you practice those teachings, those fundamental teachings. And then in the in the book of Genesis, it begins by saying, "In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth." Uh, knowing that, recognizing that, for us, our worldview is shaped on the basis of God's sovereignty over all things. A- as a believer, mm-hmm. we understand that there's a meta narrative of Scripture: God, man. Jesus, cross, resurrection. Some would say it this way. I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with this, Daryl. Creation, fall, redemption, consummation, right? It's through that worldview that we ask questions like, who am I? Or why am I here? Mm-hmm. Or what's mm-hmm. wrong with me? Or how can mm-hmm. what's wrong with me be made right? And, and what mm-hmm. you're seeing being offered by Black Lives Matter are answers to those questions in these mm-hmm. manifestos. And we have to recognize what it is we're seeing and experiencing when we come into contact with Black Lives Matter. I'll finish by saying this. Our solution to these questions as a believer in Christ is the gospel of Jesus Christ, that, that, that Amen, Christ girl. came. He lived a perfect life that he died a sacrificial death on a cross in order to redeem mankind from sin, and that those who repent and place their faith in the finished work of Christ will indeed be saved. Now, for for those entrenched in the Black Lives Matter movement, the answer to these questions differ dramatically. Black Lives Matter's orthodoxy is is Marxian, right? It's critical race theory. Uh, It's harmardiology. Black Lives Matter's harmardiology. It's white guilt. It's white privilege. It's white fragility. Uh, black lives matters orthopraxy it is never satisfied it's never satisfied the yep. gospel of blm yep. is a is a works based yep. salvation that never truly saves the sinner and and that is why i believe that the church of the black lives matter must be
1: mm-hmm. rejected amen bro wow that was powerful man that's powerful you good that's it you good that's it man i'm good all right, man, let me take you what you said. Let me just kind of springboard off of what you just finished up with. You know, I'm reminded of Proverbs chapter 23, verse 23, which says oh, in the in the non-Armenian standard Bible translation, of course, <laughs> Proverbs 23, 23 says, buy truth and do not sell it. Get Come wisdom on. and instruction and in understanding. That's Proverbs 23, 23. Let me repeat that. Proverbs 23:23 23, 23, By truth and do not sell it. Get wisdom and instruction and understanding. That's Proverbs 23:23. 23, 23. That passage reminds Amen. me Omaha of something John Calvin said in his classic work Institutes of the Christian Religion. John Calvin said this quote, "We should judge nothing to be exceptional or worthy of praise unless we recognize that it comes from God." Unquote. We should judge nothing to be exceptional or worthy of praise unless we recognize that it comes from God. That was John Calvin from his institutes. Now, Calvin's statement acknowledges the reality that not everything comes from God, which is to say not everything is godly. Okay, take, for example, what Paul says in Second Corinthians 11, verse 14, that even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So not all light comes from God. Now that Greek word light is the word phos, P-H-O-S. Okay. That's the Greek word for light in 2 Corinthians 11, 14. That word speaks of the knowledge of the truth together with the spiritual purity associated with it. Okay. So again, 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, 14, where the apostle Paul says, even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. That Greek word light is speaking of the knowledge of the truth together with the spiritual purity associated with it. Now, believers in Jesus Christ need to be equipped spiritually to be able to discern. okay, or as Calvin said, to recognize what comes from God and what does not. In other words, what is truth and therefore true and what is not? Okay, we see that in first John, chapter four, verse one, where we read, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. So there's that word test again. So that's what John MacArthur was talking about in the passage I read from Fool's Gold, when he was talking about the, the gold miners in the mid 1840s, that they would test. They would test the rocks that they found to make sure it was pure gold or or if it was just pyrite, which is worth nothing. So 1 John 4, 1, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Now, when held up against the test of Scripture, when held up against the test of 1 John 4, verse 1, Black Lives Matter fails that test. Okay, now one of the co-founders of Black Lives Matter Ms. Patrice Cullors has even gone so far as to acknowledge that the Black Lives Matter, quote, movement, unquote, is not only political in nature, but more importantly, is spiritual. Okay. now, when responding to a question posed to her in an interview about her organization, Patrice Cullors said, quote, this is not just a social justice movement. This is a spiritual movement, unquote. Okay. now. I want to expand on those words from Ms. Patrice Kalors by citing a religion news service article from June 15th, 2020. The article is titled Black Lives Matter is a Spiritual Movement, says co-founder Patrice Kalors. Now, this article quotes Kalors in an interview she did with a woman named Melina Abdullah. Malina Abdullah is the co-founder of the Black Lives Matter Los Angeles chapter. Now, this interview was conducted as part of a live virtual performance of what was called a prayer for the runner, a prayer for the runner that the Fowler Museum at UCLA hosted on June 13, 2020. Now, I'm quoting now from that religion news service article from back on June 15, 2020, quote, after the performance that is after the performance of a prayer for the runner, Melina Abdullah, co-founder of Black Lives Matter Los Angeles, joined Kalor's in a discussion that touched on the role that spirituality and prayer has played in the movement. Quote, part of our calling as people who do this work for black lives is to lift our people up both in their living, but also in their death. Unquote Kalor said, quote, The need to lift our folks up feels so incredibly spirit driven for me. Unquote. Abdullah and Colors touched on the practice of calling out the names of the victims that they advocate for in protests and demonstrations. It's kind of a way to invoke their spirits. Abdullah said, uplifting the names of victims goes beyond creating hashtags, Kalor said. Quoting Kalor's here, it is literally almost resurrecting a spirit so they can work through us to get the work that we need to get done, unquote, she said. By highlighting their names, Kalor said she feels, quote, personally connected and responsible and accountable to them, both from a deeply political place, But also from a deeply spiritual place. Unquote. Colores touched on Western West African traditions that center on remembering ancestors. Quote, quoting Colores here, quote, I feel like part of the story in the building of BLM was about remembering and remembering our people not based off a white supremacist memory, which would be about slandering them and putting their names in the newspaper and showing their mugshots, unquote, she said, quoting again, but instead remembering them from the place that their mothers and their fathers and their family would want us to remember them in, unquote. Kalors, I'm still quoting from the Religion News Service article here. Kalors, who grew up Jehovah's Witness, said she, quote, was always someone who almost obsessed about our, and parenthetically, black ancestors, unquote. Quote, quoting Kalores here, I wasn't raised with honoring ancestors. As I got older and started to feel like I was missing something, ancestral worship became really important, unquote, she said. The women also touched on their tradition of praying and pouring libations during the demonstrations. In a June 9th article, quote, titled The Fight for Black Lives is a Spiritual Movement, unquote, Heba Farag, its assistant director of research at the USC Center for Religion and Civic Culture, examined how Abdullah led a group of demonstrators in a ritual at a recent protest outside of Los Angeles Mayor Eric Garcetti's home. As part of the ritual, people recited the names of, quote, those taken by state violence before their time, ancestors now being called back to animate their own justice unquote Farag wrote wow wow yeah that's 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 a comment you cannot overlook Farag said this no. Harak Farag said this, he said as part of the ritual, people reciting the names of the, of quote those taken by state violence before their time. Ancestors now being called back to animate their own justice, Farag wrote. After each t- after each name, Abdullah poured libations on the ground as the group in return chanted, I say, the Yor- Yoruba term is, quote, often used by practitioners of Ifa, a faith and divination system that originated in West Africa, unquote, Farag wrote. Abdullah on Saturday said it took her almost a year before she realized Black Lives Matter was much more than a racial and social justice movement. Quoting Abdullah here, quote, at its core, it's a spiritual movement, unquote, she said. Kalor said it became clear to her they needed, quote, spiritual protection, unquote, as Black Lives Matter was targeted by the right, by police and neo-Nazis. To Colors, she wouldn't be able to do this work without spiritual practice. Quoting Colors here, it would be antithetical, unquote, she said. That was from a religion news service article depicting an interview between Belina Abdullah and Patrice Colors of Black Lives Matter. Now, I want to take that article and just segue into some serious exposition of what you just heard me read especially the quotes oh, that came from Kalors and Abdullah themselves. Okay. In his book, in his book titled precious remedies against Satan's devices, precious remedies against Satan's devices, the Puritan Thomas Brooks said that the primary device Satan uses to draw the soul into sin is quote to present the bait and hide the hook. Okay. Thomas Brooks says the primary device that Satan uses to draw the soul into sin is to present the bait and hide the hook, to present the golden cup and hide the poison, to present the sweet, the pleasure and the profit that may flow in upon the soul by yielding to sin and to hide from the soul the wrath and misery that will certainly follow by committing the sin. Unquote. That was Thomas Brooks from his book, Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices. Now, with those words from Thomas Brooks in mind, I want our listeners to recall the article that I just cited a few moments ago and that that article used terms like prayer and spirituality to describe the context in which Melina Abdullah and Patrice Collores were discussing what really drives the Black Lives Matter movement. But such terms as prayer and spirituality are merely the bait that hides the hook. OK, the bait was the hashtag Black Lives Matter. That was the bait. You see, everyone took the bait, but no one bothered to notice the hook to which the bait was attached. OK, which reminds me, Omaha, of what the Apostle Paul said in Romans twelve nine, that we are to abhor what is evil and cling what is good. So when you think about Thomas's Brooks in hindsight as it relates to Black Lives Matter I think what he's saying there is absolutely brilliant and germane to what uh, has contributed to the success of Black Lives Matter, especially within certain pockets of the church in America, especially in around the world. The hashtag, hashtag Black Lives Matter was the bait that hit the hook. But see, you and I are right now behind the microphone today to show people what the hook is. Any thoughts, bro?
0: A lot of thoughts, man. I, I As you were walking through that, I'm—, I'm I'm going all the way through my, 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 uh, my elect standard version Bible sitting here to, to the left <laughs> of me. And <laughs> I thought I'd get that in. The, the first thought that comes to mind is how important what we're walking through is for believers. Um, in that, if this if is—I this is I was listening today to, um, to uh, John MacArthur, Pastor John MacArthur— um, and, and he was, I mean, truth be told, uh, we could have, we in, in, in light of what we're going to walk through over the course of the, of the time that we'll engage in this particular episode, I'm going to encourage you to go back and listen to uh, the, the Sunday service uh, yep. of, of September 13th. Uh, one of the things that he talked about is he talked about how American culture has moved from uh, postmodernism to absolute paganism. And what, when he said that, I immediately thought about, about what we're, what we're going to be walking through and, and this religion of BLM. I thought, wow, how timely those two things come together, what he's preaching about in his sermon about the pagan culture in which we live and how, how Christians are to stand in, in light of, of, of biblical truths and, and what that may mean and what that may cost them. Um, and, and, and again with what we're walking folks through in this particular episode uh, and, and with the an, with the ancestral worship that you just unpacked for people, we've got to know what to do with that how to address that exactly. more importantly, I think it be, I think it begins it begins with the believing you said this over and over and over again. far too many Christians are biblically illiterate. Yep. Far too many Christians are biblically illiterate. Yeah. We, 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 yeah, spend, and, and we first, spend can I a ton of our, can
1: I, can I interrupt you real yeah, quick? Go just, ahead, just yeah, go ahead. Yeah, 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 yeah. When we say biblically illiterate, we're not saying that you don't know how to read your Bible. We're sure you know how to read it. But our, our, our concern is that there's so many Christians out there who don't know what it means, what they're reading. They don't know what right. they're reading actually means. They don't know how to interpret. There's no hermeneutic that accompanies what they're reading. So when we talk about biblical illiteracy, we're talking about exposition, exegesis, mm-hmm. hermeneutics, mm-hmm. so that you can apply an a right understanding of what you're reading to the world mm-hmm. that you're facing each and every day. So that's what we mean when we say biblically illiterate or biblical illiteracy. We're not condescendingly right. saying that no one can read their Bible. Of course, you can read your Bible, and you do read your Bible. What we're talking about is emphasizing understanding what you're reading. It's no different than what Philip asked the Ethiopian eunuch when he saw when the Holy Spirit led him to, to cross paths with the Ethiopian eunuch. What was the first thing out of Philip's mouth? The first thing out of his mouth was, do you understand what you're reading? Do you understand what you're reading? So that's what we're talking about there. And I just want to clear that up for a second, Omaha.
0: No, absolutely. I mean you, you you usually say it this way. You say it's it's one thing to understand what the Bible says, but do you understand what it means right. by what it says? Right. And and so that's that that's that's what we're talking about here and and it, it begins with believers understanding the truth of the word. And again, I, I always appeal to 1 Peter 3:15 and 16 where but where it says, "But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy." Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the hope, a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Far too many, listen. Far too many pastors are doing one of a number of things. One, they're buying into Black Lives Matter, and, and mm-hmm. the reason is 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 what you alluded to. They don't have a biblical hermeneutic. They don't sure. have a. They don't understand what the, what Scripture says. So. Because of that, they latch on to what the culture is providing them. Oh, culture is telling me now that black lives need to matter. So since, so since May, all of a sudden, at the end of May, black lives now matter because the culture is telling me that that's what's important Now that that's what I need to parrot. The, sec- the second thing that, that's happening is you, you have pastors who don't really understand what's happening and are so afraid to say anything. Yes. That they they say ab- they say absolutely nothing at all. Right. Uh, right. and, and, and 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 so their their language doesn't doesn't impact culture they they're really not not engaged in what's happening they they have no finger on the pulse of what's going on in in the world around them and 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 so they're they're just kind of out there and then you have uh, have folks like 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 my pastor at my church like like men like John MacArthur who are actually speaking to the issues, and those are the folks you you mm-hmm. can tell which one you are. On the basis of how much the culture attacks you, if 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 there's right. absolutely no attack, if, if 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 you're if you're getting no attack, if 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 every everyone seems to be leaving you alone and everything seems to be moving in in the right way, I guarantee you. You're not you're not treating the word with 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 the f- fidelity that's necessary, with the clarity that's necessary, with with the with the with the prophetic voice. And by prophetic voice, I mean, truth proclaiming voice that the word intends to provide for the culture We're to be salt and light in a culture that it, that, that is that is dying. And, and, and in order to do that, we've, we're going to irritate some folks. Folks are going to be upset, not for yeah, the purpose that, of that, us
1: being. That, that, that's... Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Just real, real quick. I was just thinking about listening to you there, Omaha. I'm thinking that, yeah, that's Matthew five eleven, right? It's Matthew five eleven Absolutely. where it says, blessed are you, right? Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice in verse 12, rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So I think that's a great point, man. If you're not catching any heat, you might want to make, you know, check to see if the light bulb is screwed all the way in. Absolutely. Absolutely. I I, I think I think this is interesting
0: as well. Furthermore, we have we have no doctrine of suffering. We have no doctrine oh, of suffering. Wow. Uh, right. Right. And, wow. and, and that and that's the reason that's the reason why we embrace the pragmatism that, that BLM offers. Uh Philippians wow. chapter one, verse verse 29, Paul says this: For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now here I still have Paul is encouraging people to engage in a doctrine of suffering that is reflective of Christ himself we have so embraced the the, the prosperity gospel the the, the the gospel of Americanism that says everything's going to be fine we live in this mm-hmm. this Christian bubble and that and, mm-hmm. and that that, that America is this Christian nation that that we're not able to stand against the evil that's coming our way and things like this should be helpful to inform I think the second you just walked the walk through with regard to the ancestral worship. It's helpful right. to inform us so that we can know how to stand against this from a from a, from a biblical point of view.
1: You know, it's interesting. You, you mentioned there how we can uh, know, know how to stand against uh, opposing worldviews, oppose, opposition to a biblical worldview. And it's, it's so funny, Omaha, because as, as I sort of navigate the landscape especially around social media today, th- there's so many professing Christians out there who deem it un- unloving to even stand against falsehood. They, 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 right. they, they think it's unloving to even confront false teachers, false gospels, false, uh, f- right. false teachings of any kind. I mean, you know, we, 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 uh, on our previous episode on black lives matter, you know, we had a little teaser at the top where I had a sort of a PSA to the tone police, and, and you, so we use a little siren in the background to kind of throw some people off. But there, there's so many tone police Christians out there to where they, they, they won't even tolerate you speaking up against something that is blatantly and objectively and overtly antithetical to the scripture. I mean, this is unbelievable. OK, but, but that's not us. We don't we, we don't shy away here on the Just Thinking podcast. OK, so I'm about to go there right now. I'm about to go there. Uh, so get, get, your, get your upset meters, get your anger meter, get your hater meter <laughs> going, because I'm about to go somewhere where few people have dared to trot, okay, when it comes to Black Lives Matter, all right? Now, you'll recall, Omaha, in the section I read earlier from that Religion News Service article that featured Black Lives Matter co-founder Patrice Calores being interviewed by Molina Abdullah, who's the uh, co-founder of the Black Lives Matter's Los Angeles chapter. As you heard me read that passage, you heard mention of the word Yoruba. Yoruba. Yoruba is spelled Y-O-R-U-B-A. The term Yoruba refers to both a West African ethnic people group and a religion. Okay. now speaking ethnologically as a people group, the Yoruba inhabit primarily Nigeria, Benin, Togo and parts of Ghana but it's the Yoruba religion that I want to focus on right now because the Yoruba religion relates directly to the fact that the founders of black lives matter who are all practitioners of the Yoruba religion have declared their movement to be quote spiritual at its core unquote. Okay. So it's not a spiritual movement as an aside, as an accompaniment. No, they're saying that their movement is spiritual at its core. Okay. Now in the book, the Yoruba religion, introduction to its practice, Dr. Conrad E. Maggi writes this, quote, the Yoruba religious system is a pyramidal with the supreme being, okay? The Yoruba religious system is pyramidal, meaning it's pyramid uh, organized, pyramid structured. The Yoruba religious system is pyramidal with the supreme being Olodumare, spelled O-L-O-D-U-M-A-R-E, Olodumare at the apex. So the supreme being called Olodumare is at the top. The second tier beneath the supreme being are lesser deities called Orisha. That's O-R-I-S-H-A. And below these deities, below the Orishas, are ancestral spirits. Called a gun or a gun gun. That's E G U N or E G U N G U N. Okay? While all, I'm still quoting Dr. Margie from the book, The Yoruba Religion Introduction to His Practice. While all of the above are noted as, quote, spiritual beings, unquote, and we cannot see them, the next tier of this pyramid are human beings that we can see and communicate with directly. This tier is comprised of kings, queens, rulers, chiefs, priests, and priestesses, some of whom have acquired their titles through deified lineages, deified lineages. The last tier are devotees, unquote. I was quoting there Dr. Conrad Maggi from his book, The Yoruba Religion, Introduction to Its Practice. So According to the pyramid structure of the Yoruba religion, the co-founders of Black Lives Matter, Patrice Colors, Opal Tometi and Alicia Garza, all of whom are practitioners of the Yoruba religion, will fall into that last tier category of devotees. Okay, now in that same book is also what is referred to as the, the Yoruba universe. Okay, the Yoruba universe which in terms of a pyramid is comprised from top to bottom. Okay, so if you're following me, imagine in your mind a pyramid structure that we're going from top to bottom. Number one in the Yoruba universe, number one is Olodumare, which is the supreme being. The next level is spirits or the Orisha. The next level below that are ancestral spirits. Below that are kings, chiefs, and rulers. Below that level is what's called the knowledgeable OK, and the last level in that pyramid of the Yoruba universe is what's called the unknowing. OK, so you have the supreme being, Olodumare, spirits, the Orisha, ancestral spirits, then kings, chiefs and rulers. Then there's the knowledgeable. And then the last level you have is called the unknowing. Now, Dr. Maggi also outlines in, that, in his book what he refers to as the 10, quote, essential tenets, unquote, of the Yoruba belief system. Okay, the 10 essential tenets of the of the Yoruba uh, belief system. And those 10 essential tenets are as follows. I am quoting directly from Dr. Uh, Conrad E. Marge's book, The Yoruba Religion, Introduction to Its Practice. All right. The 10 essential tenets of Yoruba are number one. The Yoruba believe that there is one God who created and controls the universe and all that is contained therein Two, the Yoruba believe that there are forces of nature or parts of God who deal with the affairs of men on earth and the governing of the universe in general. Three, the Yoruba believe that the spirit of man lives on after death and can reincarnate back into the world of man. Let me repeat that. This is tenet number three of ten of the Yoruba belief system. Ten essential tenets, according to Dr. Conrad Maggi. Number three is that the Yoruba believe that the spirit of man lives on after death and can reincarnate back into the world of man. Tenet number four, the Yoruba believe that ancient ancestral spirits must be remembered and honored and consulted by the living. Okay? That's tenant number four. The Yoruba believe that ancestral spirits must be remembered and honored and consulted by the living. Tenet number four, number five, rather. Number five. The Yoruba believe in divination. That's tenant number five. The Yoruba believe in divination. Tenet number six. The Yoruba believe in the use of offerings and blood sacrifices to elevate their prayers to the Orisha or to these deities and their ancestors. All right. Number six, that was the Yoruba believe in the use of offerings and blood sacrifices to elevate their prayers to the Orisha and their ancestors. Tenet number seven, the Yoruba believe in magic. That is the transformation of prayers and offerings into action. Tenant number eight, the Yoruba believe in the magical and medicinal use of herbs. Tenant number nine, the Yoruba believe that man can commune with God through the vehicle of transpossession. That's T-R-A-N-C-E hyphen possession. The root, the Yoruba believe that man can commune with God through the vehicle of possession. And then tenant number 10, the Yoruba believe that ritual song and dance are mandatory in the worship of God. Okay. Those were the 10 essential tenets of the Yoruba, Yoruba religious belief system, according to Dr. Mar, uh, Conrad Maggi. Now, I want to pause here for a moment and expound on tenet number nine. OK, tenet number nine, the belief in the Aruba religion that, quote, man can commune with God through the vehicle of trans possession, unquote. Now, according to the Encyclopedia of Medical Anthropology, the English term possession includes both the concept of ownership and of control and domination. Belief in possession by spirits, that is the possibility that an individual's actions and behavior may be controlled by spirits or demons, is attested in English usage from the 16th century. These beliefs have left their traces in everyday language. Belief in spirit possession is both ancient and very widespread as seen in the historical and ethnographic record. One of the remarkable features of this system of beliefs and associated ritual practices is its very great flexibility and innovative potential. This is demonstrated by its expansion and diffusion, where decline and indeed disappearance might have been expected. But in a large scale cross-cultural study, listen to this, folks, in a large scale cross-cultural study, Some form of such beliefs, that is some form of transpossession, was found to be present in 77 percent of 488 sample societies, unquote. That was from the Encyclopedia of Medical Anthropology. Now, the Yoruba practice of transpossession, okay, is very similar to what is practiced in the religion called Santeria, which, like Yoruba, Leverages ritual, song, and dance to help facilitate the onset of transpossession. Now, I want to read something from the website aboutsanteria.com to give you some context against which to consider what I just read to you as it relates to your Yoruba practice of transpossession. Quote This is from the website aboutsanteria.com. Quote Drumming and dancing ceremonies sometimes lead to transpossession by initiated priests and priestesses in the congregation. Within the Santeria community, possession is very important because it allows for direct communication with the Oricas, orichas, when they mount a human body called the caballo or horse. Now, let me pause here. In that regard, Santeria is very similar to Yoruba because Yoruba, Yoruba practices or or advocates transpossession for the same reason that Santerias uh, advocate transpossession and practice transpossession because it allows for direct communication with their ancestors, the spirits of their ancestors, and other deities. Okay? Now, continuing to read from the website about santeria.com. Academics, psychiatrists, and medical doctors have carried out convincing studies to disprove the legitimacy of transpossession suggesting that it's induced through hypnotism, mass hysteria, and that it's simply a kind of performance art. Nevertheless, for millions of people around the world, transpossession is not only real, but also sacred. When Santeros allow themselves to be possessed, it's not for their personal benefit, but for the good of the religious community. They willingly enter into a state of altered consciousness in order to let the oriches speak through them. Scholars who have made a serious study of transpossession in Santeria point out that when the members of a religious community recognize a phenomenon as authentic and real. Listen to this. When the members of a religious community recognize a phenomenon as authentic and real, it gains legitimacy within that social and cultural framework. It gains legitimacy within that social and cultural framework, whether outsiders to the group believe it or not. Centauros are the first to admit that someone can, quote, fake, unquote, possession. But they also believe it's possible to tell when a person is, quote, when a possession rather is, quote, unquote, real. Most active practitioners of the religion have witnessed at one time or another an authentic possession, and most believe that the Orichas visit us in human form when they take possession of someone's body. It's a manifestation of the invisible in in, in the visible world. It's a manifestation of the invisible in the visible world, a metaphysical concept shared by many religions. The person who is possessed usually has no memory of the event, and can't enter into conversation with the visiting orisha. That's why possession takes place within a sacred and shared space, such as the drumming and dancing ceremonies where the whole community can witness and remember the visit. Unquote. That was from the website aboutsanteria.com. Now, I wanted folks to hear that, Omaha, because there are some there there is definitely some cross-pollination between what the Yoruba, Yoruba religion practices, and Santeria. And again, Yoruba religion is practiced by the three co-founders of the Black Lives Matter organization. Now, having said that, another of the aforementioned 10 essential tenets of the Yoruba religion that I want to highlight briefly is tenet number four. That is the belief that ancestral spirits must be remembered and honored and consulted by the living. Okay, now, in the fourth of the book that I just cited from, the Yoruba religion introduction to his practice, Dr. Afolabi Apega writes this, quote, ancestor reverence is an important aspect of the Yoruba religion. It is believed that there is a spiritual bond between the ancestors who are regarded as the quote, living dead, unquote, and the rest of the family who are still living on earth. Ori, the head, that's spelled O-R-I, Ori, the head, plays a vital role in the belief of the Yoruba. It is the Ori that controls a person's destiny. Just as the Yoruba are conscious of the fact that there is no beginning without an end, or no end without a beginning, so is their strong belief in the concept of reincarnation. One of the main purposes of the Yoruba religion is to ascertain the, quote, will, unquote, of the deities through divination. In this way, one is able to attain the favor of the Orisa, the deity, and the ancestors. This is accomplished in a religious ceremony during which the candidate is initiated to the appropriate Orisa or deity, unquote. Now. There's much more that I could say about the Yoruba religion that is practiced by the three co-founders of Black Lives Matter. But perhaps that's enough. You know what I have said to this point is enough to give our listeners some insight, at least at a high level, into what police Kalors means when she says that the black lives movement is, quote, spiritual, unquote. So when you see now, listen to me, listeners, closely, when you see someone with the phrase, say her name or say his name, embroidered on the jersey of an athlete or celebrity, or when someone posts those phrases on social media, or says them to you in a conversation, please understand that that is a practice that is rooted in the Yoruba religion, which emphasizes, as I just read, divination, reincarnation, and transpossession. So when someone says, say her name, they're ignorantly, probably, most likely, Ignoring, Ignorantly, not recognizing that what they're doing is echoing a practice within the Yoruba religion that is recalling the names of the dead. You are recalling the spirits of uh, dead ancestors to, again, animate themselves within you. OK, within you personally, that is divination. They believe in reincarnation and transpossession. Listen, in Leviticus 19.31. In Leviticus Leviticus chapter 19, verse 31, it says, do not turn to mediums or spiritists. Do not seek them. Do not seek them out to be defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. There's also Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 9 through 12. Deuteronomy 18, verses 9 through 12. When you enter the land which the Lord your God gives you, you shall not learn to imitate the detestable things of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or his daughter pass through the fire. One who uses divination, one who practices witchcraft or one who interprets omens or a sorcerer or one who casts a spell or a medium or a spiritist or one who calls up the dead. That's Deuteronomy 18 verse 11. No one who calls up the dead for whoever does these things is detestable to the Lord. Now, if listeners didn't get anything from me from the past few minutes that I've been speaking, please understand this. God's God's word blatantly forbids divination, spiritus, and calling up the dead. But every time you hear someone Saying the name of someone who's dead, which is what the what the founders of uh, co-founders of Black Lives Matters do through the practice of saying his name or saying her name, pouring libations when they do that, uh, chanting the word I say after they pronounce the person's name. That's exactly what they're doing. They're calling up the dead. But God says, whoever does these things is detestable to him. Thoughts on that, Omaha?
0: I I I'm at a loss for words at this point because any anybody who's listening to this who has the title pastor should immediately upon hearing this bow their knee and repent to holy god period man if if you've embraced oh, wow. this black lives matter nonsense th- this this demonic Nonsense. Right now, you should bow the knee and repent. I I just I I, there's there's nothing more to say than what's been clearly explained that you can clearly go back and, and research for yourself to see that these these women are female priestesses of a demonic religion. That's, that's what we're dealing with. I wanted to add to what, what you shared, uh, Leviticus 20, verse 6. If a person turns to mediums and necromancers whoring after them, I will set my face against that person and will cut him off from among his people. Um, mm. Verse 27 of, of Leviticus 20. A man or a woman who is a medium or a necromancer shall surely be put to death. They shall be stoned with stones. Their blood will be upon them. This is, a, this is an explanation to the people of Israel under the theocracy of God what he felt and thought of this kind of thing. That, that's, that, that's why I, I'm, I'm overwhelmed with just disgust at, at, at what you just walked us through and explained to the degree that, that I'm, I'm challenging any pastor who is involved, maybe ignorantly so, in the embrace of Black Lives Matter, the church of Black Lives Matter, you need to repent immediately. Um, First, um, let me look here. Jeremiah 23, Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, Jeremiah 27, verses 9 and 10. Do not listen to your prophets, your your, your diviners, your dreamers, your fortune tellers, your sorcerers who are saying to you, you shall serve the king of Babylon, for it is they who are prophesying, to, uh, pro- uh, pro- who are prophesying to you with the result that you will be removed that, that they will be removed far from you this this kind of thing that that we're engaged in this isn't a game the, we, we, we were clear at the outset of this thing when we when we started with with the yeah. church of black lives matter we, we are yeah. watching our entire culture embrace this 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 d- demonic ancestral worship and and we're doing so under the guise of so-called justice in the name of right. black men right, right? and and, right. and i i've said on a, on a previous episode that these the that black lives matter only advances at the hands of, of black dead bodies uh yep. and 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 only and they only prefer them uh, at at the point at which someone white is engaged in the murder but but yep. as, as as you've just walked us through man, we, we it, it, it should at this point, with this episode alone, I, I want to challenge every pastor who hears this to send this episode to everyone they know so, so that, that they're not caught up in something that will eventually separate them from God. This is, I, I just feel the level of, of seriousness with what you just read and the magnitude of, 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 of what Scripture says about this and, and, and what God says in His Word about even being associated with this kind of thing. With, with, with that, man, I'll, I'll turn it back over to you because we, we want to walk through, again, how this plays out in church culture. And so, so Darrell, I'll I'll turn things back over to you.
1: Yeah, we, we, we and I say this with all the love in my heart, it's not going to come across like that, but I do say this lovingly and humbly. You know, the, the church, as as professing Christians, as professing believers, professing followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have got to stop being so gullible about stuff like this. Mm-hmm. It's like Thomas Brooks when I quoted from his book, Satan's Rem- Precious Remedies for Satan's Devices. That hashtag, bro, that hashtag was debate. I mean, it didn't take five seconds for the church to get hooked on that hashtag. Everybody was was tweeting it. Everybody was sharing it. Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter. But see, that was debate that hit the hook. That was debate that hit the hook. Those 10 essential tenets that I just read from uh, uh, the book about the Yoruba Uri- religion, those are, re- those are re- it's like, I love what you said there, o- o- Omaha. This isn't a game. This is not a game. You mentioned in your monologue at the top, You've got the NBA has Black Lives Matters plastered in big black bold letters on basketball, courts around the league. Black, black Lives Matters, the, the, the organization is continuing to get tens of millions of dollars in donations from corporations, millions of dollars from celebrities. Uh, all kind of stuff is rolled under that one hashtag. But that's just the bait that has the hook, you know. As we keep discussing this in this episode of the Just Thinking podcast, Omaha, the Church of Black Lives Matter, what we're essentially talking about fundamentally, when you really break it all down, what we're really talking about here is the marks that distinguish a true church from a false one. That's really what this all boils down to. What 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 are the marks that distinguish a true church from a false church? As that great preacher and expositor, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, said in his book, The Basis of Christian Unity, Lloyd-Jones said, quote, everywhere in the New Testament, there is an insistence upon true doctrine in contradistinction to false doctrine. That is only possible because doctrine can be defined and stated in terms and propositions. Martin Lord jones closes this uh, quote out by saying this. He says, we have an objective standard by which we can test ourselves and others, unquote. So Lloyd-Jones is saying that in the scripture, we have an objective standard by which we can test ourselves and others. But see, what I was saying to you earlier, Omaha, is that we have this doctrine of the love of God so twisted So backwards is so misunderstood that we don't even test anyone anymore. We don't test anyone. Oh, no, 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 no. Well, let's just love on them and let's just pray for them. Okay, right, 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 right. So you're telling me with all that the New Testament says about false teachers and how the church and believers is supposed to deal with false teachers and supposed to deal with false doctrine. We want to just rip that out out of the Bible. We should just rip all that out. And just love on them and pray for them. No, Lloyd-Jones is saying we have an objective standard by which we can test ourselves and others. All right. So, again, what we're talking about here is how do we distinguish a true church from a false church? How do we distinguish the truth from error? Okay. now with those words from Lloyd-Jones in mind, okay, I want to quote. Several other stalwarts of the faith, and I want to start by quoting J.C. Ryle from his book Holiness. Okay, so we're talking about what distinguishes a true church from a false church, and Black Lives Matter is a church. It is a church because why? Because Black Lives Matter is a religion. Okay, it's not, it's not just a hashtag. It's a religion, folks. Listen to what J.C. Ryle says in his book Holiness. I'm quoting here. Quote: The church is made up of all true believers in the Lord Jesus Christ of all who are really holy and converted people it comprehends all who have repented of sin and fled to christ by faith and been made new creatures in him it comprises all god's elect all who have been received who have received god's grace all who have been washed in christ's blood all who have been clothed in christ's righteousness all who have been born again and sanctified by christ's spirit all such of every name and and every nation and people and tongue compose the church. This is the body of Christ. This is the flock of Christ. This is the bride. This is the lamb's wife. This is, quote, the holy Catholic and apostolic church, unquote, of the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed. This is, quote, the blessed company of all faithful people, unquote, this is the church on the rock, unquote. That was J.C. Ryle from his book, Holiness. Theologian Louis Burkhoff, in his systematic theology, defined the church this way, quote, The church consists of those who are partakers of Christ and of the blessings of salvation that are in him. The reformed conception is that Christ, by the operation of the Holy Spirit, unites men with himself, endows them with true faith, and thus constitutes the church as his body, unquote. That was Louis Burkhoff in his systematic theology. John Frame, Dr. John Frame in his systematic theology and writing about the church says this, quote, what is the church? Essentially, the church is the people of God in all ages. Notice that the church is, is people. Notice that the church is people, not buildings. Although it is right that the people have buildings in which to meet. The church is not, however, just any people. It is the people who are in covenant with God through faith in Jesus Christ, unquote. In his book, Truths We Confess, a systematic exposition of the Westminster Confession of Faith, the late Dr. R.C. Sproul writes the following about the church. Quote, The word church derives ultimately from the Greek word kurios, which means Lord, The title given to Jesus, the church then etymologically consists of, quote, those who belong to the Lord, unquote. The people of God are those who have been purchased by Christ and are owned by him. The Greek word ecclesia, from which we get the word ecclesiastical, is commonly translated church and means literally those who are called out from the world referring specifically to the elect, unquote. That was R.C. Sproul from his book, Truths We Confess, a systematic exposition of the Westminster Confession of Faith. The 19th century Baptist preacher, Charles Spurgeon, said this, quote, a church may have a very short muster role, and yet it may be very dear to God, who thinks more of quality than of quantity, more of obedience than of numbers. Unquote. Spurgeon also said this quote, The church is not formed to be a social club to produce society for itself, nor is it to be a political association to be a power in politics, nor even to be a religious confederacy promoting its own opinions. The church is a body created of the Lord to answer his own ends and purposes, and it exists for nothing else. Unquote. Now, I believe those words from Ryle, Burkhoff, Frame, Sproul, and Spurgeon are crucial for us as Christians to understand and take to heart today because Black Lives Matter is a spiritually dark and demonic organization from which the church, which is to say, true believers in Jesus Christ, must distance themselves, with the exception, of course of praying that those who have embraced that organization and its worldview would have the veil of spiritual darkness removed from their hearts and minds through the preaching and power of the gospel. It's like Amen. the apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians three sixteen. but whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. All right. So we want to pray for them that that veil of darkness over their minds and hearts is taken away by God's grace. Nevertheless, There still are those within the church who, instead of distancing themselves from Black Lives Matter, have encouraged believers to attach themselves to Black Lives Matter through a bit of verbal sleight of hand. Okay, a little verbal sleight of hand going on. That is, they do this by suggesting on the one hand that you can endorse the idea that Black Lives Matter without endorsing the organization Black Lives Matter. For example, J.D. Greer. The president of your beloved Southern Baptist Convention, Omaha, in an online speech he gave in June of this year, urged Southern Baptists to, quote, say Black Lives Matter, unquote. Now, in an article dated June 10th, 2020, on the website BaptistStandard.com, J.D. Greer is quoted as saying this, quote, We realize that, especially in a moment like this one, we need our brothers and sisters of color. We know that many in our country, particularly our brothers and sisters of color right now, are hurting. Southern Baptists, we need to clearly say it. As a gospel issue, black lives matter. Of course, black lives matter. Our black brothers and sisters are made in the image of God, unquote. That was J.D. Greer as quoted in an article on the BaptistStandard.com website. Now, the article goes on to say that, quote, While he, that is Greer, used the phrase Black Lives Matter, which has become a widespread motto of civil rights since the shooting death of Trayvon Martin in Florida eight years ago, Greer noted in his speech that he is not aligned with Black Lives Matter, the organization founded in 2013, unquote. Now, though I will give credit to J.D. Greer for framing his assertion that, quote, Black Lives Matter, unquote, within the context of Genesis 127, That black people, as are all human beings, are created in the image of God. I must call him to task for attempting to separate himself from Black Lives Matter as an organization. Now, I say that for two reasons. One. The only reason anyone is even saying the words Black Lives Matter is because of the organization Black Lives Matter. Okay, so to suggest that you can say and that you can embrace the phrase Black Lives Matter while disassociating yourselves from the organization that originated that phrase is to be woefully naive. Okay, reason number two. The second reason I must take the task, uh, J.D. Greer, and those who would employ that same kind of dualism as he, which I just pointed out a reason number one. Is that he assumes that when the organization Black Lives Matter says Black Lives Matter, that the organization Black Lives Matter defines the word matter through the same biblical hermeneutic that he does. Now, needless to say, they do not. They do not mean matter in the same biblical hermeneutic as you, J.D. Greer. Listen, when the organization Black Lives Matter says Black Lives Matter. They don't mean that in the context of the universal concept of the Imago Dei, as is established in Scripture in Genesis 127 and again in Genesis 5.1. In fact, you can peruse the entire Black Lives Matter website. I mean that literally you can peruse the entire website at BlackLivesMatters.com and you will not find a single Bible verse, not one. Nor will you find a single reference to Scripture at all? Not one. Not only that, you also will not find a single mention of God anywhere on their website. Not the biblical God anyway, not the God who Jesus described in John 17 three as being the only true God. But that's not surprising, given the spiritual and ideological worldview to which the three co-founders of Black Lives Matter subscribe. That's why I took the time earlier in this episode, Omaha, to exposit what the Yoruba religion teaches. The Yoruba religion, which Parise, Patrice Colors, Opal Tomete, and uh, uh, Alicia Garza all subscribe to. OK, now our problem here, Omaha, is that as Christians, we're so concerned with what the world thinks about us that we tend to, to so easily latch on to such worldly fads as a Black Lives Matter hashtag that we don't think to apply the requisite and prefatory levels of spiritual discernment so as to determine if what appears on the surface to be a laudable and commendable message is actually biblical or not. And now what's happening is that because we've been so easily sucked into supporting the Black Lives Matter hashtag, other hashtags have arisen. And now we're debating amongst ourselves which of those hashtags we should be supporting or not supporting. There's hashtag Black Lives Matters, hashtag Blue Lives Matter, hashtag White Lives Matter, hashtag All Lives Matter. You know, all those hashtags, Omaha, remind me of one of my favorite cartoons. It's the one where you may have seen this one growing up. It's the one where Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck are trying to trap each other into saying which hunting season it is, right? Daffy Duck would say it's rabbit season, and Bugs Bunny would reply it's duck season, and back and forth they would go rabbit season, duck season, rabbit season, duck season. Each one trying to get Elmer Fudd, who was the hunter in the cartoon, to shoot the other one. You remember that cartoon, Omaha? That, but that's what all these hashtags Absolutely. remind me of. Yes. It reminded me of Bugs Bunny, and Daffy Duck going into rabbit season, duck season, rabbit season, duck season. You know, and, but 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 here we are again. We we we've taken the bait. And being t- while being totally oblivious to the hook, thoughts, man.
0: Uh, man, there's so much good stuff in what uh, you shared. Kind of going back to the proper definitions of uh, of of what is a church. Um, what what is the true church, uh, and and what is it made up of, and how and how can we define a true church from a false church? And so we, I mean, you looked at a number of different people from Sproul to to Spurgeon you looked at RC uh, rather JC Ryle you looked at Lewis Burkhoff and walked through what how, how they defined a church and, and again I I want to encourage our, our listeners to go back through and, and, and take a listen and take some notes and kind of walk through that I also I, I want to take to task what JD Greer said uh, from a from a different perspective I thought I thought in this instance that you you were kind uh, in, in offering um, just some, just some benefit of the doubt with with regard to to the fact that he used the he separated himself. He attempted to separate himself uh, from the Black Lives Matter movement by saying Black Lives Black Lives Matter. Right. Um, the the and and so that that was a good thing. Um, he 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 tried. He, he what you said was you framed. Uh, the issue of black lives mattering that that uh, that j d Griff framed that in the Imago day in in genesis uh, one twenty seven and, and you and you praised that, but you said that that the problem showed up when he tried to distinguish himself from the from the organization and, and right. again, the case that we're making is you, you can 't separate those two things right uh, there's exactly. no way once you, once you once you embrace one you you you, you 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 know you you receive the other as as a result i want I want to walk back through that portion because here's here's my here's my line of reasoning e- even the even the idea of black lives mattering anchored in genesis 127 is not it's almost true you, you know you know the I, and i think it I, I can't remember if it was Spurgeon who said it, but but the the difference between knowing uh, the, what, what's right and almost right that's what's that that's what what discernment is right. called I think it was spurgeon right. who said that Dis, yep. d- discernment is, is no know, is knowing the difference between right and almost right right uh, and 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 what and what happens in that instance when we use the term black lives matter and we attach that phraseology to Genesis 127, is that it's almost right. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. It's it's almost right. Uh, And and so it's easy to give it a pass. I don't want to give him a pass, especially with the with the with the role that he plays, with the platform he has. He's got one of the largest denominations in in the world, arguably, uh, in the Southern Baptist Convention. And it's critical in our day and time that we don't that we don't land on what's almost right, but that we land on that which is right. And, and, And what I mean by that is Black Lives Matter is a non sequitur. Black Lives Matter is a non sequitur. It it, it it's mm-hmm. meaningless from this standpoint. It, it it lands on nothingness in this way. The the no one has made the statement that Black Lives don't matter. Right. Who who who's right. who's making that argument right. in the culture? Right. Who, who's, yeah. Good point. Who who's looking who's looking at George Floyd and saying, "Hey, that was deserved. He was black." Right. Who who who, yep. who do who do, I mean? If someone's to say that we we would we would know that they were crazy, the vast majority of American culture w- would know that that was absurd on its face there's right. there's there's no one that's saying black lives don't matter right there, there the vast majority of Americans don't they, they believe that black lives matter that black people matter there, there's no systemic racism there's no systemic racist plot against black people as a whole to suggest that black lives don't matter. So the conclusion, that Black Lives Matter is a non sequitur. No one believes that right. Black Lives don't matter. So why are we saying that Black Lives Matter? We, right. we, we don't have to. And, and if and if the idea behind it is well, we're we're witnessing Black lives being taken, then I think before we 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 look at that, I think we have to ask the question: Why is that happening? A. What's happening? And why right. it's happening. But the, the, the problem is right now we're not able to, to ask any questions apart from being called racist. The, right. the, 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 the culture, society has, has and, and news media have so programmed us that when we hear a black man uh, shot by a white officer, we automatically assume guilt and innocence on the basis of the ethnicity yep. of the people yep. involved. Yep, and so we're, we're we're unable to ask the question. I, I love there was a there was a piece you wrote. And I'm sure you'll remember this, uh, where you you really highlighted the idea that that the civil rights movement of the of the '60s was not anchored in the in their ethnicity. Right, right. The, the 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 cry the cry of, the cry of Martin Luther King was judge me by the content of my character, not right. the color of my skin.
1: Right. And, and, and let so me the let argument, me interject let me let me interject ahead, something here real quick, Omaha, because listen, we can even go back 100 years prior to the civil rights movement. We can go back to the 1860s. We're not the start of the 1960s. We can go back to the 1860s when you read a lot of the abolitionists, some many of whom were former slaves themselves. But when you go back and you mm-hmm. read the abolitionists, even when you read some mm-hmm. of the slave narratives themselves, what you will find mm-hmm. is that even coming out, their argument for for uh, for for slavery being uh, not just illegal, it was immoral. The reason it was immoral, right, was because of the Imago Day. Even right. every 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 person who was enslaved knew inherently. It's Romans one, bro. It's Romans one. God right. placed within them congenitally an awareness mm-hmm. of that concept of the Imago Day. But even coming out of slavery the abolitionists did not want special rights. They wanted equal rights. Read Frederick Douglass. Read Booker T. Washington. Read those individuals and know what you will find. They did not want special rights on the basis of their ethnicity. Frederick Douglass, in an address he gave back in 1854, he titled it The Case of the Negro Ethnologically Considered. Ethnologically Considered. Mm -hmm. And in that address... In that address, a, uh, I'm sorry, um, Douglas argues from Acts 17, 26, mm-hmm. that from one man, God created every man to live on the face of the earth. Every nation, that word, Nathan's ethnos. I, what I love about, notwithstanding the content of the address itself, is the title. Even Frederick mm-hmm. Douglass, who wasn't known as a theologian, even Frederick Douglass knew that the proper term was ethnologically, not racially,
0: right? He did
1: not title his message, the case of the Negro racially considered. He didn't, he didn't title it that he titled it. He titled it biblically accurately, the case of the Negro ethnologically considered because Douglas knew that go, go ahead, go ahead.
0: No, add, 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 add to that. His his line of reasoning for argumentation was on the basis of equality, not equity. What right. he was arguing was for it was for the for for equal treatment, not not equity of of outcomes, not right? equity I, of I outcomes. I just, That's exactly right. right I want to be I I want to be seen as a human being created in the image of God. Period. End of statement. Not. You've got white privilege, and I need some of that privilege. Right? Not right. if you don't like what I'm saying, it's because you're 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 you're, you're fr- you, you've got white fragility, and you you need to you know you need to let go of that. I mean, this the, the where we here's the crazy part. When I think about, about about even what you're saying about about Douglas and the historic past, we were we were stronger at the at a at the point in time where slavery was happening. We were stronger as black people than we are in this privileged culture that we currently
1: live in. Whoa, 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 we, we, whoa, whoa we were stronger. I need, I need, I need to cue the mascot right there. I need to cue the mascot right there. <laughs> we, we need some Hammond B3 right here because number one, not, not only is what you just said, courageous and bold and accurate. Do you realize bro, how much heat you're about to take for what you just said? Man, at are the you end to, of the day, are, are, it's truth. It, are, do you realize, bro, what you just got yourself into <laughs> by, the, by 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 the hate by hate by the from the haters who listen to the show? And we know we got haters right. who listen to us. Absolutely, Absolutely. you just you, Absolutely. you just set yourself up for a hater thorn, bro. I mean, you you <laughs> you are about to catch it. But we need some hammer, bro, because I'm gonna need you to say that. One more again, as they say. One more the, again, the, bro.
0: Look, 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 man. The, the 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 reality is this: we we currently in 2020 are some of the most patty caked, powder baked, uh, easy breezy. Uh, 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 f- we, we 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 have so embraced prosperity that we can sit back and and be angry about a, a pancake syrup. We can we can we can we can act as if we are offended by the name of a pancake syrup and have we could be offended by a movie called Gone with the Wind and have that movie removed when black folks 100 years ago were getting whipped and beaten. And what they were after was 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 being considered equal. They they weren't looking for equity. They just wanted to be treated as human beings created in the image of God. Here's the, here's the reality. They simply wanted to be left alone.
1: Alone. They wanted to be left alone. Hello. Hello. And you know, when you say that Omaha, you remind me of one of my heroes of history is a black man by the name of Robert Smalls. Um, Many of our listeners, I don't know, may or may not be familiar with who Robert Smalls was, but Robert Smalls was born a slave. And as he, as he grew older, um, he was uh, uh, manumitted into the service of the Confederate army in the South. But uh, Robert Smalls is famous for uh, basically uh, uh, kind of uh, uh, sort of, so, uh, so, um, I, I want to say sort of uh, uh, covertly commandeering a Confederate uh, naval vessel. He, he and, and several of, the, of, of his favorite uh, fellow slaves, rather, uh, commandeered this Confederate Navy vessel and passed through five Confederate checkpoints in order to hand that vessel over to the union army. Well, after the civil war, um, Robert Smalls, uh, went on to serve in the legislature. I believe it was in uh, South Carolina. Uh, but Robert Smalls sticks with me because he said one thing. He said that as a slave, all he and his fellow black brothers and sisters wanted was a fair chance in what he called the battle of life. Yeah. We just want a fair chance in the battle of life. That's all we want. So when I say uh, the abolitionists didn't want uh, special rights, they wanted equal rights. They wanted to just be treated in the same, in, in the sense of the Imago day of Genesis one knowing that just like white people, they as black people were created in the image of God Leave me alone. Give me my freedom so that I can either succeed or fail on my own. Black Lives Matter has bastardized and totally prostituted the legacy of of uh, of 100 and almost 160 years of uh, black struggle within this nation by using their melanin as a crutch. As a crutch, ultimately, to get paid. To absolutely. get paid. Now, when you read the Black Lives Matter... It's the,
0: the, the modern-day modern race, it's, it's the, it's the modern race hustle. Modern-day modern race modern,
1: hustle. Black, black Lives Matter is a modern-day race hustle. When you read the Black Lives Matter mas, manifesto, which I quoted from earlier, a vision for black lives, what you'll find in there is that they are demanding not one type of ref, reparations, but six... They have six different types of rep- reparations that they're de- that they're demanding. Five of those six are in the form of cash, monetary payouts. One of the six is legislative. OK, they're demanding six different types of reparations. OK, and I'm telling you, people like Robert Smalls, Frederick Douglass, Booker T. Washington, Mary Ann Shad Carey. All of these uh, men and women abolitionists, who sacrifice at the risk of their lives, lives will be absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. ashamed. They would be ashamed absolutely. and embarrassed. And what Black Lives absolutely. Matter is doing today, under the under this uh, uh, fake pseudo uh, uh, banner of uh, uh, of a hashtag Black Lives Matter, Black lives don't matter to Black Lives Matter. They couldn't care less.
0: Absolutely. No, absolutely. We we've been saying this over and over and over again, and it's crazy, bro. Because it, it's it's there's so few voices that are saying the kinds of things that we're saying, and and you and you're right. We're catching a lot of flack for it, but at the end of the day, we we never we never put this thing together for the purpose of of, of getting followers or of getting. We 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 put it together to tell the truth and to be honest, and 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 to, and to hold to biblical fidelity and and to make sure that that we share the truth of the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I I, I tee that up to say the whole point of what we're trying to do is is we're trying to show our listeners that Black Lives Matter is indeed... A church it is indeed it is it does indeed have its own religion it does indeed have its have, have, have its own uh ecclesiology right it's it, its own yep. orthodoxy it's its own harmardiology its own soteriology uh, Daryl explained its own eschatology and so we want to continue to unpack that daryl as I, as I, as I tip the hat back to you man what do you got for us
1: yeah and you know you know i it doesn't take much to it doesn't take much to make a church OK, it doesn't take much to make a church. A church can be one person. A, a congregation can be a congregation of one person. Now, what makes a church is not numbers. OK, what makes a church for better or worse is believers. That's what makes a church believers. You don't need a 501C3 designation from the IRS to have a church. That designation only serves to provide a church the fiscal advantage of being exempt from paying taxes. No, what you need to have a church are these three things you need a theology, you need a soteriology, and you need an eschatology. A theology, a soteriology, and an eschatology. And individuals who subscribe to them and to Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter has all three. Black Lives Matter has All three. They have a theology. They have a soteriology. They have an eschatology. Their theology is racism. Their soteriology is Marxism. Their eschatology is socialism. And they have countless followers who subscribe to all three of those. Now, one glaring example is the following passage from the book Preaching Black Lives Matter by Gail Fisher Stewart. Okay, Preaching Black Lives Matter from Gail by Gail Fisher Stewart in her book. Gail Fisher Stewart says this, quote, for the church to reflect Jesus, there must be a white metanoia, a white repentance, because the shame of slavery is not ours. It is the sole property of white people. Now, she's wrong about that, but I'm not I, I would digress. She says the shame of slavery is not ours. It is the sole property of white people. Uh, Gail Fisher-Stewart goes on to say this. It seems we have a church that is more interested in maintaining the institution than it is in taking a chance, risking it all as Jesus did and changing this world into what God created it to be. Now, there's more eschatological language right there. Gail Fisher-Stewart continues, Jesus, God incarnate, came to earth. Now listen to this. Listen to this Christology, okay? Listen to this Christology. Jesus, God incarnate, came to earth to show how the world could be if God's people would just get with the program and follow him into the margins where those who have been excluded by a world that commodifies humanness will be found, unquote. That was Gail Fisher Stewart from her book Preaching Black Lives Matter. Now what Fisher Stewart is doing here is regurgitating the same old tired narrative of James Cone and other propagators of black liberation theology under the banner of Black Lives Matter. In fact, let me quote from the late Dr. James Hal Cone himself from his book, Black Theology, A Documented History, Volume 1, in which Dr. Cone defines black theology as follows, quote, black theology is a theology of black liberation it seeks to plumb the black condition in light of god's revelation in jesus christ so that the black community can see that the gospel is commensurate with the achievement of black humanity black theology is a theology of quote blackness unquote it is the affirmation of black humanity that emancipates black people from white racism, thus providing authentic freedom for both white and black people. It affirms the humanity of white people in that it says no to the encroachment of white oppression, unquote. That was Dr. James, the late Dr. James Halcombe from his book, Black Theology, a Documented History, volume one, and his definition of black theology. Now, a similar sentiment to Dr. Cone's is expressed by Dr. Raphael G. Warnock. Raphael G. Warnock, his senior pastor at Ebenezer Baptist Church in my hometown of Atlanta, Warnock says in his book, The Divided Mind of the Black Church, Theology, Piety, and Public Witness, quote, black theology is important both in the history of black struggle and in the larger history of Christian theological reflection. Black theology, since its emergence in in the 1960s, has endeavored to give substance and systematic expression to a theological perspective that, listen to this, that sees the work of salvation in the broadest terms. Okay, Warnock says that black theology sees the work of salvation in the broadest terms both underscoring and explicating the theme of liberation as the central message of the gospel and the essential mission of the church. So there you have missiology and ecclesiology all in one. I'm continuing to quote from Dr. Raphael G. Warnock's book, The Divided Mind of the Black Church. Warnock says this, that in regard, in that regard, rather, in, in the regard that, the, that, black, that liberation is the central message of the gospel and the, and the central mission of the church. In that regard, James Cone and other leading interpreters of the black theology movement called on black Christians and their churches to make a decisive theological break with white Christianity and for the first time do theology for themselves. Unquote. That was Dr. Raphael G. Warnock from his book, The The Divided Mind of the Black Church. Now, in those words from Dr. Raphael G. Warnock, from James Cone, as well as Gail Fisher Stewart, is the draw, especially for many Christians, the draw to the church of Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter provides them an opportunity to embrace a racialized or more accurately an ethnicized theology. An ethnicized Christology and ethnicized soteriology and an ethnicized ecclesiology, all that allow black Christians primarily to quote, break from white Christianity, unquote, and worship a quote unquote Messiah of their own making with whom they can identify with and embrace solely on the basis of melanin. That's what you have here in people like Warnock Cone and Fisher Stewart. Now, It is a view collectively that they hold. That view is very similar to what author Kelly Brown Douglas, who is a disciple of James Cone, expresses in her book titled The Black Christ, where Kelly Brown Douglas quotes from James Cone's book, Black Theology and Black Liberation, in which Cone said this, quote, If Jesus Christ is in fact, the liberator whose resurrection is the guarantee that he is present with us today, then he must be black taking upon his person and work, the blackness of our existence and revealing to us what is necessary in our deconstruction of whiteness, unquote. All this to say black lives matter intrinsically within its worldview is very, very very much aligned with the worldview of black liberation theology. This is why you don't see many practitioners of black liberation theology coming out being critical of Black Lives Matter, because Black Lives Matter, notwithstanding the fact that it is not a biblical Christian or ecclesiastical entity, not in the the least. What draws many practitioners of black liberation theology to Black Lives Matter is because of their emphasis on a, a, uh, number one, the liberation of blacks from white oppression and a, uh, a, a, a melanin Messiah, if you will, hmm. their Messiah, their, 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 their Messiah is, 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 is identifiable first by his melanin, then his deity, his deity comes second to his melanin. So that's why you'll see a lot of folks quote uh, like Kelly Brown Douglas, Raphael Warnock, uh, 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 Gail Fisher Stewart. Their their, their emphasis is on a, a a a black theology, which entails a black Christ, a black savior, a black Messiah. All that rolled up under uh, the uh, the construct of a melanin Messiah. Uh, any thoughts on what I've just gone through, Omaha?
0: I mean, there, there was a lot there, but just to, to kind of bring bring some. Just Some focus around that. The, I mean, you, you landed on the fact that there that that you know the three things that re, that are required in a church is a theology, a soteriology, and an eschatology. That that Black Lives Matter has a theology of racism, they have a soteriology of Marxism, and an eschatology of, of socialism. And then and then you unpacked, I mean, stuff that, that bro, we've been talking about now for two years. I mean, none of this is new. When I, I, I this past week, I was up at uh, at the Falkirk. Uh, uh center with uh with, with our with our brothers up there at liberty university and and one of the things I said as we as we discussed uh critical race theories we discussed crt is I said this 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 is nothing new the Crt is is a is a philosophical idea that informs it's the lens that that black lives matter matters uses to examine the world, it's it's it's. I mean, it's all the things we've talked about, man, in in, in the last two years. It's standpoint epistemology. Yep. It's ethnic gnosticism. It's it's all it's all of the it's it's all the things that we've talked about over and over and over again. And it's and and you brought us back to, uh, it, its foundation, which is black liberation theology of the the black liberation theology of James Cone. James Cone was informed by the, the, the liberation theology of, of Gustavo Gutierrez. Uh, he, yep. he mixed that stuff in Latin America with, with, with what went on uh, in the black power movement of the 60s to come up with his, his form of black liberation theology. None of this is new. But, but it, all, it all goes back to Genesis chapter 3. All right yep. Genesis chapter 3 where the serpent enters the garden and he, and he speaks to Eve and, and he asks the question has God really said did God really say that you can't eat from that tree in the garden right did God really say it's a questioning of God's created order it's a questioning of, of how God has set up the world his sovereignty and it inserts in its place some man-made man-centered uh, plan of action right this man-made man-centered idea of who we are, who we're to be, who has sinned—it's the idea that 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 blackness is inherently uh, righteous, is inherently holy, and 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 whiteness is inherently sinful. And that's just on the basis of what one person has determined, and they've they've placed it into an idea that, that 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 everyone embraces. And 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 the only reason that those kinds of ideas are able to form is because there was something in the past, right? There there was right. historic racism, and I, I think I think what happens often, Daryl, is you and I get 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 um, tagged with the idea that that we don't care about that, or we don't think about that, or we don't. We we won't we won't we're not willing to take a look at that when nothing can be further from the truth. Those who right. make that charge against us have haven't listened to episodes like slavery reparations, where you open right. up with slave narrative, right? And, and and you walk through the background and history, uh, historic racism in our country. The difference is this: those of us who hold a biblical worldview can explain everything we're seeing. And we don't have to do so through a contemporary lens. Right, great point. We 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 can explain what we're seeing through the lens of God's created order. That sin entered the world. That through one man sin enters the world, and, and that happens in Genesis chapter three. And by Genesis chapter four, we've already got the first murder. Right. And so we're not surprised. You and I are not surprised. Those of us who hold a biblical worldview are not surprised by what we see that is evil and wicked. Racism is evil and wicked, and so-called racism. What's being called racism, right? right. We call ethnic. We call ethnic hatred and right. hatred of your brother. Ethnic hatred of your brother is akin to murder, and murder is a sin. And so we, we connect all those dots, but we explain it from a biblical worldview that right. provides crystal clarity so that when we prescribe biblical uh, uh, diagnoses, we can advance the biblical cure, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ.
1: That's an excellent point, uh, Omaha. And I really like what you said earlier when you alluded to the fact that, you know, some of our haters out there, because we don't spend our time re- resurrecting and prosecute and re-prosecuting past sins because we don't spend our time doing that uh, because we got not only do we have better things to do. Number, number two, it's not our position to do that. OK, so we get a lot of flack for not caring about slavery, not caring about quote unquote racism and all that kind of stuff. We get, a, we get a lot of heat for that. A lot of flat because we don't spend our time, uh, you know, r- r- like I said, resurrecting past sins committed or not, or presumed. Uh, we, we don't have time for that. But as I said uh, on, on various episodes before, whenever that, su- especially when the subject of slavery comes up, I've probably studied more on, on slavery than any other topic other than theology um, I've probably studied more on, on that topic than anything else because of the hermeneology that goes along with it. It's just amazing that our depravity as human beings is such that we would think it permissible to own another human being, that one image bearer of God would think it would permissible to own another image bearer of God. You know, one of my favorite books, uh, and I, I'll get back on track here in a second, but one of my, but this is a freestyle episode so we can go wherever we want to go. What, one of my favorite books on slavery is a book by Dana Ramey Berry. Dana Ramey Berry wrote a book titled The Price for Their Pound of Flesh, subtitled The Value of the Enslaved From Womb to Grave in the Building of a Nation. In this book, the author Dana Ramey Berry includes a poem that was written by the mother uh, 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 who was a slave. She had She bore several children, but as we know, uh, in slavery, children were very profitable uh, for slave owners and for slave masters. Having, having children was very profitable. And what would happen is um, when, when a slave would have children, uh, the children, generally speaking, would be sold off, uh, taken away from the mother, taken away from the father, uh, sold off as, as property because children were very, very valuable because they wanted to keep this legacy of slavery going for generations, so what you want, what what you would do, is when a slave woman had a child, uh, the child would be taken from her and sold off. Uh, families would be destroyed, broken up. It, it was horrible. But but in this book, uh, the price for their pound of flesh is a poem by a slave woman from North Carolina, who is lamenting uh, that all of her children are now gone. Listen to this poem. Um, the poem is not titled. It's it's just a lament of this mother from North Carolina. She says this, All my noble boys are are sold, bartered for the trader's gold. Where the Rio Grande runs, toils the eldest of my sons. In the swamps of Florida, hides my rob, a runaway. Georgia's rice fields show the care of my boys who labor there. Alabama claims the three last who nestled on my knee children seven seven masters hold by their cursed power of gold stronger here than mother's love stronger here but weak above ask me not to hope to be free or see my children free rather teach me so to live that this boon the lord may give first to clasp them by the hand as they enter in the land, land capital L meaning heaven. Her only wish was to be able to clasp her children by the hand as they all entered heaven. So yeah, we have a great, great appreciation. We take the historical legacy of slavery in America very seriously. Uh, Virgil and I both have studied uh, in depth On that subject. But again, we don't spend time revisiting and resurrecting past sins for which nothing can be done in terms of undoing the damage that those sins cause. Uh, You you know, so so I'm glad you brought that up. I like I like I like I I like the I like the point you made. I'll I'll, I'll add this. I like I like the point
0: that you made. and, And that is that what we're what we're doing is we're we're. We we revisit those things for the purpose of identifying the level of depravity, not in a not in a specific ethnic group, but the level of depravity that is found in the human condition, apart in the, in from, the human heart. from the saving exactly. knowledge of Jesus Christ. That, that's that's the point. It, 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 it's it's the idea that that is for, for if, if it were not for the very grace of God, there go I. That's me exactly and. and and, and really the, the reality is for those who would listen to that and be angry or heartbroken or upset at, a, at an ethnic group of people, we then again have to look at ourselves and ask ourselves, it, listening to the poem of that mother caused me to think of, of, of that. That's something that should be read to every mother considering aborting their child today.
1: Oh, man. Every, whoa, every whoa, 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 every, whoa, 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 every, whole, whoa, whoa every, every, hold it. Hold it. <laughs> give me some Hammond. Cue the mascot on this one, bro. That <laughs> right? was a brilliant, every, seriously, brilliant connection, Omaha.
0: Every, every woman considering an abortion, considering murdering the child in her womb, should be reading what you just read to us with regard to what that slave mother, whose, child, whose children were ripped from her and sold off to se- seven children, to seven different masters. And she's lamenting that where women are, are, are willing in our day, out of out of out of the benefit of of such great abundance in this country, to think nothing of aborting child after child after child, and not giving a second thought to the to that child's condition or state, their their, 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 their eternal state, we we would willingly and readily abort that child, uh, and and not and not think of it on the altar of convenience. That's what we would do.
1: That's an excellent point, brother. And again, for those who may be considering re-reading or wanting to reread that poem. Uh, again, that's from the book, The Price for Their Pound of Flesh, subtitled The Value of the Enslaved From Womb to Grave in the Building of a Nation by Dana Ramey Berry. All right, Omaha, I'm get back on track here now. Are you familiar with the name DeJory Wilson? DeJore oh. Wilson, De Wilson was an eight-year-old black girl who was shot in the back and killed in Chicago over uh, Labor Day weekend a couple weeks ago. Wow. A wow. weekend which, by the way, saw 50 people shot in Chicago that weekend alone. Now, mm-hmm. according to an article on the website fox10phoenix.com, DeJore Wilson is the sixth child under 10 years old to be killed in Chicago since June of this year. Sixth child under 10 years old to be murdered in Chicago since June of this year. Now, where's Black Lives Matter on this? Have you heard a peep from any of the leaders of that organization crying out for justice for little Dejore Wilson or the other yeah. five black girls that have been murdered in Chicago since June? No, you haven't. Mm-hmm. Why? Because the brutal murder of an eight year old black girl doesn't advance the agenda of Black Lives Matter. DeJore Wilson wasn't killed by a white police officer. So Black Lives Matter couldn't care less that she was shot in the back and won't live to see her ninth birthday. The same was the case with eight-year-old Sicoria Turner, who was shot and killed in Atlanta on July 4th of this year. Just she was just riding on, in a, in, a, in, a, in a vehicle with her her family. They get off at an exit, and she's dead. She's shot dead. So the the the, the hypocrisy, the subjectiveness of Black Lives Matters in terms of their sort of feigned indignation. Over the mistreatment and maltreatment of black people is laughable. It's absolutely laughable, man. Any, any thoughts on that, Omar? Yeah, I mean, we we've said it a
0: number of different times. Black lives, black lives do not matter to Black Lives Matter. I mean, we've we've said it a dozen different ways. We we've, we've repeated it on 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 numerous episodes. Uh, that that that's the reality. I mean, I even walked through in our previous episode. If you remember, I walked through all of the different companies and corporations that I could find access to that had given tens of millions of dollars to the Black Lives Matter organization, only to do every bit of research I could to, to note that to that point, I had not seen one dime of that money sent to any of the, of the Black Lives that Black Lives Matter claimed that they, that they cared about. And, 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 and the reality is that we, they, they don't care about the real issues. Black Lives Matter does not care about the real issues that are facing Black people on a day-to-day basis. I mean, we, we, you and I get accused of not caring about those issues, but the reality is Black Lives Matter doesn't care about those things in any way, shape or form. And this is just evidence of that.
1: Agreed, bro. You know, Amha, it just occurred to me that for the entirety of our conversation, I've been I've been referring to Black Lives Matter as a as a movement. But but according to celebrities like LeBron James, Black Lives Matter is not just a movement, but it's something much more than that. I want to quote from an ABC News dot com article written by Karma Allen, that's K-A-R-M-A-A-L-L-E-N, Karma Allen, that's dated July 24, 2020, which quotes LeBron James as saying about Black Lives Matter that, quote, I don't like the word movement. He said, adding that for black people, he considers it, that is, he considers Black Lives Matter a, quote unquote, lifestyle. James said, quote, this is a walk of life. When you wake up and you're black, that is what it is. It shouldn't be a movement. It should be a lifestyle. This is who we are, unquote, James said, quote, and we understand that. And we know that for one step, someone else might have to take. We are we know we got to take five more steps, but also that's what's making us strong. It makes us powerful. It makes us so unique and unified that we that we have had so much hardship in our life either from personal experiences or loved ones or reading history, unquote, James added. Now, I have no doubt that when LeBron James says things like, uh, quote, much hardship in our life, unquote, and talks about, quote, unquote, reading history, I have no doubt that what he's alluding there, uh, alluding to there is the enslavement of black people in America. Now, you and I sort of had a little bit of a discourse on that a few minutes ago, but just as an aside, I want to clear something up for the sake of history. OK, just for the sake of history's sake, as it relates to the uh, history of slavery in America and say that although slavery unarguably, OK, unarguably flourished and was most profitable in the South in America, slavery in America was first codified into law in the North, not the South. OK, it was first codified into law. I want to emphasize that slavery in America was first codified into law in the North, not the South. 1641, this is a year, the year 1641, Massachusetts is the first colony to legalize slavery in the year 1641. In the year 1650, Connecticut legalizes slavery. Uh, In the year 1663, Maryland legalizes slavery. The year 1664, New York and New Jersey both legalized slavery. The year 1700, Pennsylvania legalizes slavery. In the year 1715, Rhode Island legalizes slavery. So we're talking many, many years before the first Southern state legalized slavery. Slavery had already been codified into law in the North. But when I think about people like LeBron James and others like him who whose seeming indignation over the violence black people face in America is so selective, right? And so subjective as to be inflamed only in situations where the perpetrator of such violence is white. I'm reminded of this book, of the book by Booker T. Washington titled My Larger Education, which he published in 1911. I want our listeners to stay with me here on this. In that book, in his book, My Larger Education, Washington tells a story that encapsulates what he thought was wrong with so many quote unquote black leaders and their guilt ridden white supporters, who he referred to as quote problem profiteers, unquote. Okay. In my larger education, Washington tells this story quote, he says, a story told me by a colored man in South Carolina will illustrate. How people sometimes get into situations where they do not like to part with their grievances in a certain community. There was a colored doctor of the old school who knew little about modern ideas of medicine, but who in some way had gained the confidence of the people and had made considerable money by his own peculiar methods of treatment. In this community, there was an old lady who happened to be pretty well provided with this world's goods and who thought that she had a cancer. For 20 years, she had enjoyed the luxury of having this old doctor treat her for that cancer. As the old doctor became, thanks to the cancer and to other practice, pretty well to do, he decided to send one of his boys to a medical college. After graduating from the medical school, the young man returned home and his father took a vacation. During this time, the old lady who was afflicted with the, quote, cancer, unquote, called in the young man who treated her. Within a few weeks, the cancer, or what was supposed to be the cancer, disappeared and the old lady declared herself well. When the father of the boy returned and found the patient on her feet and perfectly well, he was outraged. He called the young man before him and said, quote, My son, I found that you have cured that cancer case of mine. Now, son, let me tell you something. I educated you on that cancer. I put you through high school, through college, and finally through the medical school on that cancer. And now you, with your new ideas of practicing medicine, have come here and cured that cancer. Let me tell you, son, you have started all wrong. How do you expect to make a living practicing in medicine that way? Unquote. Washington went on to say, quote, I am afraid that there is a certain class of race problem solvers who don't want the patient to get well, because as long as the disease holds out, they have not only an easy means of making a living, but also an easy medium through which to make themselves prominent before the public. There is another class of colored people who make a business of keeping the troubles, the wrongs and the hardships of the Negro race before the public. Having learned that they are able to make a living out of their troubles, they have grown into the settled habit of advertising their wrongs, partly because they want sympathy and partly because it pays. Some of these people do not want the Negro to lose his grievances because they do not want to lose their job. Unquote. That was Booker T. Washington th- from his book, My Larger Education. Now, and such is Black Lives Matter, right, Omaha? And the entire culture Absolutely. of perpetual yep. black grievance. Black Lives Matter doesn't want people to get well. They don't want black people to get well. They don't want black people to be healed of their cancer. And what is that cancer? That cancer is a deep-seated hatred of and disdain for white people who like them have been created in the image of God. Now someone may be asking themselves after listening to us now for a couple of hours, someone may be asking themselves, so, so, so Darrell, what's the solution? What, what what what's the alternative to the quote unquote church of Black Lives Matter? Well, I'm gonna let my response to that question be these words from the great D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who in his book, Knowing the Times, said this, quote, this is the answer, folks. This is the answer to Black Lives Matter. Quote, we must present the Bible as the word of God, not the words of men, but the word of the living God. God speaking about himself. God speaking about men. God speaking about life. God telling us what he is going to do about a fallen world. That is what we need to preach with certainty, with assurance. Let us tell the people about its marvel, that though it contains 66 books written at different times and in different centuries, there is only one message in it. Let us tell them about fulfilled prophecy. Let us point out to them how things prophesied and predicted hundreds of years before the events were actually verified in the fullest and minutest detail. Let us tell them they do not know it. It is for us to proclaim the word of God. And especially at this critical time in our history. Let us tell people something about its message. It is the only book that explains life. Lloyd-Jones says, that the Bible is the only book that explains life. It is the only book that explains the world as it is today. The problem was, they said, that people did not know one another. If only they would all love one another and embrace one another. But we cannot live even a few seconds together. You see, there is no explanation except the explanation that is given in this book, unquote. Amen. That was D. Martin Lloyd Jones from his book Knowing the Times. So, if anyone asks me, Darrell, what's the what's the what's the response to Black Lives Matter? What is the alternative to the church to the religion of Black Lives Matter? There you have it, from D. Martin Lloyd Jones in his book Knowing the Times. Omaha, you want to close us out, man? Absolutely, man. We just uh, we just unpacked for
0: you and with crystal clarity. Uh, the Church of Black Lives Matter, the religion of Black Lives Matter. It is indeed a religion. Uh, I would encourage you to, to share this with as many folks as possible so that, that we can make sure that the body of Christ is educated about this and that we're able to give, an, give a reason for the hope that we have in Christ Jesus and not in Black Lives Matter. Omaha, oh, wow. can, can I interrupt for you the, real quick? For the,
1: for the, for the, I'm can I interrupt you for the real time quick, that bro? Yeah. Yeah. Let me interrupt you real quick. Something just, something just hey, hit yeah, me. Yeah. I want to do this, man. Before we, before we roll out, I'm going to ask you, Yeah, I want to sure. read a passage from second Corinthians chapter four. And then I want to ask you, brother, if you don't mind, if you would pray for the leaders of black lives matter, I want to pray for Patrice Calours. I want to pray for Opal Tometi. I want to pray for Alicia Garza. And you'll understand why after I read this passage from the apostle Paul in second Corinthians chapter four. Second Corinthians chapter 4 starting at verse 3 and even if our gospel is veiled it is veiled to those who are perishing in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God for we do not preach ourselves but Christ Jesus as Lord and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake for God who said light shall shine out in darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of, the, of God in the face of Christ. That was 2 Corinthians 4, verses 3 through 6. So, Omaha, if you would, man, I want to ask you to pray for the leaders of Black Lives Matter that in accordance with what we just read from the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 4, yeah. that God, by his grace and mercy would impart to them the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Absolutely. God, we just,
0: based upon the text of Scripture, we lift up these women who uh, have have been blinded uh, by the enemy. Uh, their, their, their eyes have been darkened. We, we ask for you to open their eyes to the light of the gospel, to the truth of the gospel, to the message of truth, of hope uh, that they can have and, and and come to a full saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And we, we pray that for these women, uh, that they would turn from their wicked ways. They would turn from this worship of, 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 of Satan himself. Uh, and that You, by Your Spirit, would draw them unto Yourself. And so we, 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 we lift them up to You. We ask You to do that, Lord God. I also pray for, for those who are listening to this particular episode, uh, that they be transformed by the very renewing of their mind as they've listened to the Word of God shared in this space, on this subject, uh, and that they would be conformed as a result of the, to into the very image of Your Son. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen
1: appreciate that, Omaha. Now you can close us out, bro.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Just Thinking Podcast. Join us next time. We appreciate it. God bless.
1: The Just Thinking Podcast, hosted by Daryl Harrison and Virgil Walker, is a Christ-centered, gospel-focused, and theologically challenging program that boldly and unapologetically addresses social political and cultural issues from a biblical worldview. With an international listenership that stretches from the United States and Canada to Romania, Nicaragua, and Mongolia, the Just Thinking Podcast breaks through all ethnic, geographic, social, and cultural barriers to bring the objective truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the issues confronting his church and his people. Subscribe to the Just Thinking Podcast using the podcast app on your Apple or Android smart device, or you can listen online at The Bar Podcast dot com slash JT